We're just starting back, right? Isn't that right? We haven't been doing it because it's been really rowdy in here at 1030 for the last month or so. So, yeah. Uh, we're at the end of 2 Corinthians. We've been on that now since uh, right after the first of the year. And we're uh, uh, to the uh, very last few verses in it. This text is printed in the bulletin and up on uh, the screens behind me this morning. Um, a tendency that you have, <clears throat> that we have when we read the Bible is to blow off these words at the beginning and end of uh, epistles because we think they're just throwaway words like, hey, how you doing? See you later. You know, we don't really, I don't really, I'm not interested in how you're doing. Uh, not really. Um, and so, uh, but really what Paul does here in this uh, last uh, few verses is he summarizes what the, the book's been about. Um, and so it's a, it's a good uh, way for us to end and a good uh, thing for us uh, yeah, to kind of settle our hearts and minds in uh, this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, the text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is the word of God. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we have uh, three children uh, that were uh, born 18 months and 19 months apart. Uh, so uh, if... They're older now, but when they were little, uh, our project uh, was peace. Peace in our house. Peace. Uh, I've often told the story of the day I came home from work, and all three of the kids were in the house screaming, and Marty was not in the house. She was on the deck in the, uh, on the porch swing reading the newspaper. That's how I knew we needed some help, and uh, we, the Lord was good and provided that. Um, if, if you have siblings, if, uh, uh, one of the things you know is that one of the things that siblings teach you is the ability to have a conflict, that siblings disagree. They compete. They fight. They uh, manipulate. They do all sorts of things like that, right? So, so one of the things that we would try to do is try to figure out how, you know, can we just get along? Can everybody just kind of be at peace with one another and get along? And so, so we would, uh, what we would do is we would, when, when that was not happening, which was often the case, and most often this happened between the hours of 5 and 8 p.m., uh, usually around dinner time is when it really hit the fan. Seriously, most nights. And so we would try to figure out things to, to try to address this. And one of the things I would do is when kids were having a dispute about whatever it was they were having a dispute about before food could get thrown, I would make them stand together face to face with their foreheads together and just stare at each other. Yeah. Hopeful, hoping that something would happen. Right. 
That's, I spend most of my life hoping something will happen, right? Praying that something would happen. Or when they were really little, we would threaten them with, you know, if you can't get along with your brother, he's going to sleep in your room with you tonight. Now, which is kind of funny if you think about it, because we're trying to make peace by forcing people who don't want to make peace together, right? Now, it's not unlike what we do uh, in the United Nations regularly, is we, we send peacekeepers to places where there is no peace. And they almost always fail. Because peace has to be made first within us and in us before a peace can be kept. Right? Um, and, and so it is one of these things that what we've recognized about the church in Corinth is how unpeaceful they are. They are, there are disputes within the church about I follow this person, you follow that person, there's immorality, there's gossip, and, and above all, there's a large percentage of the church who despises, literally, that's not too strong a word, despises the Apostle Paul for his weakness, for his suffering, for the fact that he's boring, the fact he's not very interesting, um, and that his gospel does not speak to us of power, but rather of weakness. And so, what, what, as we come to the end of this letter, it seems like what we could read here as he, he says these things, you know, to, to rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Sounds so sweet. Or, or maybe what we could think about that is, he's like, you know what, I've said all that I'm gonna say. You know, there's, there is a Jesus, and there is a God, get along! <laughs> right? And just, and just leave it at that. Right? Uh, but actually what's happening here is something much more profound and, and much more dynamic than that. So in the conclusion of this letter, he gives us five statements, a promise, a command, and then his benediction. Now, one of the things that you note about this text, and one of the things that's unfortunate about the English Standard Version, which is the Bible we typically use around here, the translation of this is, except for the first one that says to rejoice, these other statements are actually passive voice. Passive voice. Okay, grammar time. What is passive voice? You know how when um, Joe Brown gives uh, a children's sermon. I got your attention. You're thinking about that. And he comes up here. The first thing he says is, be seated. That's passive voice. I always say, take your seats. Because I was taught to avoid passive voice in public speaking. Um, I can say this because Joe's in Canada <laughs> today. <laughs> Yes, he's in Canada. <laughs> Canada. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, they're, they're actually, uh, they're actually having a great time at uh, Niagara Falls. So, uh, when they get back, uh, ask them, you know, make sure all his kids are with him and then ask him how they had a good time in, at Niagara Falls. Um, but one of the things that I think is, is so, uh, 
Uh, interesting about that is it's a type of language like be seated or something like that 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 is it's funny to think about because to tell someone to be seated you're not telling them to sit down you're telling them to exist in the state of being of being sat right <laughs> right so it's not so much about an activity although there is an activity that's evident of that but what it ultimately is is this is a state of being so these words here about being uh, restored, be comforted, be agreeable, and be at peace is really what he's saying. He is saying to us that uh, you need to rejoice. And as you rejoice, these things about your identity will come to the fore. Now, we are we are one of these kind of uh, we live in this kind of day and age. Um, uh, and one of the things that people like uh uh, about a certain brand of Christianity is we want to be honest. We want to be raw. And so whenever we come across a text in the scriptures that tells us, you know what, you need to rejoice. Our tendency with that is to say, forget it. That's for somebody else. That's not for people like me. That's not not for people who struggle in my marriage or for people who are unemployed or underemployed or or people who who struggle with addiction or or any of those sorts of things. We kind of look at that. And we kind of set it aside because we think, you know what, that's for other people. That's for giddy people. That's for happy people. That's not for me. But as we've said, and I want to remind you about this today, that when Paul says this to the uh, church in Corinth, he's not papering over their difficulties and, and that sort of thing. In fact, if you believe in the gospel of joy, if you believe that Jesus Christ is for you, if you believe that, that, that the truth is that even in the midst of your brokenness, even in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your grief, that Jesus Christ stepped into that, he lived your life, died your death, and he rose again that he is for you, and that he holds out to you the hope of ultimate and final restoration and joy forever, then you can, on a parallel track, lament the brokenness and repent of your sin and embrace the joy of those sins forgiven and the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. That those two things run along together. But in the end, what we recognize and what we know is, is that the end of history, that the end of our lives, that the point to which the church is headed is a place of eternal and everlasting joy. Because Jesus loves us. Because Jesus is with us. Because Jesus is among us. And if that is true, and if we belong to him, then the ultimate expression of that is going to be the recognition that we are his people, and as a result of that, joy marks our lives. We may cry. We may experience brokenness. But in the midst of that, we can rest assured that our Jesus loves us because he died for us and rose again, because he atoned for our sins. And so what Paul is getting at here is he's not papering over this or he's not just leaving these people with some sort of instructions that it's time that you you complainers and you gossips and you liars and you scandal mongers shut your mouths and get along. He's saying rejoice. Jesus is for you. And as you rejoice in that recognition of the grace of God for you, then these things Comfort, restoration, peace 
come to us. You see, by coming at this from the standpoint of uh, what has to happen is we have to recognize the truth of what has been done for us, right? And so, so he wants us to see that first and foremost. Rejoice, the gospel, Jesus is for you. And as a result of that, there's comfort, there's peace, there's restoration, those things. And then, then he says, as a result of that, that the God of love and peace will be present with you, will be in you, will be among you, right? And then he says to greet one another with a holy kiss, right? Um, that's one of those verses that we read and we think, that's got to be culturally conditioned, right? <laughs> you know, I, I don't want some guy, somebody kissing on me. Right. Right. Um, but the fact is what he is getting at here is uh, this kiss and the fact that he uh, uh, speaks of that with the saints, all the saints greeting them is a recognition, not just of some sort of ritual or some sort of thing like that, but that because of what Christ has done for us, we belong to one another, we are with one another, and that when we gather together, we're actually warmly disposed toward one another. So so what Paul's saying here is, you know, those of you who follow Peter, and those of you who follow Christ, and those of you who follow Apollos, and those of you who follow Paul, kiss each other. Because really, who you are, what your identity is, can't be built on those things. Must first and foremost be built on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as Kevin's already said to us this morning, that is where our true identity lies. And then he blesses this community with a Trinitarian statement of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit providing at work and living in and among those people. Now, I would submit to you that if you're remotely sane this morning, that all of us would want to be a part of a community where these things are first believed and then manifest in our life together. Don't you want to be in a community where the love of God is active and evident? And that is why the first word here is to rejoice. Because it, it, one of the things that we have to understand about this is, is that the source of our joy, the source of our rejoicing does not come uh, from simply uh, what is happening circumstantially in our lives. It has an effect. It's a part of it. But that is not what identifies us or defines us. What defines us is the very love of God demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ taking on flesh, living among us, dying our death and rising again for us. You see, that is the central core of our identity. And that is not only the central core of our identity, but ultimately that is what unites us. If Jesus Christ died to reconcile me to God, then 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 all of these other uh, uh, places where my relationships are broken have to be looked at in light of that. And that's why he says to us to rejoice, to remind us of the joy that Jesus died to give us. Next slide. 
Um, now, we have to admit that there's great, uh, great irony in this, right? Um, uh, the concerns and the disputes are not paper, papered over, but are rather placed in context. So the secret to this reality is found in identity, and that's what the logic of the passage says to us. Who am I and who are we? That's the question that Paul ends his letter on. And what he wants them to see in this text is not that they're Corinthians, not that uh, they're particular followers of a particular political, ethnic, racial identity, but that there's something else. And what he wants to see, and the key to that, is, is, is embedded in the text. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you, right? All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You see, the key to understanding this is, and the key to our understanding of our identity is this, that we are the people where God lives. That's the church. That's the community of God's people. The one thing that is true of us, the one thing that is dynamic about us, the one thing that that identifies us above everything else, the thing that Jesus lived and died to give us is that we are the people that God is with, that he is here, that he is among us, that Jesus, we are the people where Jesus lives. And you see, that's the, that's the thing that we have to, that, that, that we miss so often. And that's why he speaks this way in this text, because do you see Jesus? Do you see him? Where is he? Right? He's here. He's in us individually. But not only that, he is among us and in us as a community. And that is the thing that marks us, that changes us, that drives how we behave towards one another and toward the the world. Because in fact, That's the point of the whole Bible, is that God would get glory as he lives and walks among his people. That the whole point of what he has done since Genesis to Revelation is to create a situation where the creator and the redeemer is with his people, that they are with him. And that the whole point of this is that now we have this access and we have this place, this person to whom we belong, to whom we identify, and who distinguishes us from everybody else in the world. Next slide. When, when, and you get to see that this is the whole point of what, what the gospel ultimately ends up doing in and among us. We read in Genesis chapter 3 that God would come to the garden where Adam and Eve were in the cool of the day, and he would walk with them. He would talk with them. He would be with them in the garden. But just as the creation begins in a garden, the, the, the culmination of history ends in a city, and we read in Revelation 21 where it says that the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. That's where we're headed. 
That is, that is the reality that, that we give witness to, that we manifest to as we live uh, this life together as the people with whom and in whom Jesus lives. You see, that is the thing that is so profound about the nature of the church. It's, it's sometimes the, the church is called the people of the book, and that's good. The people of the book, that matters. We have the truth of God revealed to us in the scriptures. Absolutely. But the distinguishing characteristic of the church has always been the presence of God in and among his people. One of the, one of my, uh, as I've been thinking about, um, beginning numbers, uh, next week, uh, no groaning. You're gonna love it. You know why? Because there are lists in this book, lots of lists in this book of names. Names. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that God loves his people and he names them. You matter. You matter. Those people and those names that we read them and our eyes roll back in our head, they matter to God. Just like you and what you think may be your obscurity or your grasping after notoriety in your obscurity, you matter. Because Jesus came and lived and died for you. He is for you and he lives in and among you right now. He makes his dwelling place with us. And that has been the whole point uh, that he would get glory in that. And so are we a community and are we individuals where the presence of God and love lives? Because the presence of this God who, who is so, uh, uh, who sees us is so dear that we matter so much to him that he would die for us continues his ministry, continues his work in and among us. So that whatever may be true about us, whatever may be true about our faults and our failings and our disagreements and our petty jealousies and our gossips and our slanders is this. This is where Jesus makes his choice to live. As I've been thinking about this in numbers, let me get back to that, is that uh, I've been going back and rereading some passages in Exodus that set us up for this. And so, Liz, put put my next uh, passage up there. Um, God's given the law. The people didn't like it. They worshiped the golden calf. And Moses is, uh, he's in a bad way. He's in a bad way. And so he has this conversation with God. So Moses said to the Lord, see, now, you know, it's an honest prayer with God. When you begin, see, you know, what? (laughs) See, what's going on? Hey, pay attention. Listen, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Isn't it funny? Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. True of the church, true of us. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight. Now, notice all the conflicts that are in this, right? What did he just say? God says that he knows me by name and, and that I found favor in his sight. 
So now, God, if that's true, if I have found favor in your sight, I know you said it. Did you mean it? Please show me now your ways that I may know know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, that's God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, one of the things that's great about the scriptures is, and one of the things about the honesty that I love about this is, look at how many words Moses has. Look at how many words God has. Right? Moses is like, see, look at this. I got to do this. You've said this, but what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't, you know. Do you get the anxiety and the, the fear and the concern and all this stuff? And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Pretty definitive. My spirit will go with you and I'll give you rest. Let's move on to the next topic, Moses. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me. Now, wait a minute. What did he say in verse 14? My presence will go with you. Well, now wait a minute, God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall be it known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? Isn't that profound? What is it that makes you different? What is it that makes the people of God different? Is it how smart we are, how gifted we are, how powerful we are? Is it how weak we are, how poor we are? No, no. What makes the people of God the people of God? What makes them distinct? What makes the church stand out? It's not its buildings or its programs. It's not its people so much as it is the God who lives and walks among them. That he is with us. He is in us, right? That we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. If the great exchange has been on my behalf by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then I simply receive that and pass it along. I am loved. And the evidence of that love is found in the cross of Christ. And the ongoing evidence of that love is that God is with me and he is in me. And it's a hard thing to believe because I can't see him. I can't really touch him. But the truth is the dynamic of the work of the Spirit of God, the dynamic of the work of the Son of God, the dynamic of the work of the Father in all of these, this, this work that he has done is to be with us, in us, and among us. And so that what we, when we live, when we hear, when we believe and receive simply in our weakness the message that Jesus Christ has atoned for our sins, that he has set us free, that we belong to him, that he belongs to us, then that changes the dynamic of how we live in this world. Because that truth I am a part of the people of God. I am a part of the people where God lives. And so we must be receivers first of this, of this great news that, 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 that of the work that Jesus has done for us. And when we receive that, 
When we recognize that we matter, that God loves us, that he is for us, that he has, he has changed this dynamic, and that in the, the, the crazy, threatening world in which we live, that he is with us, that he's with us, just as he was with Moses, just as he was with that rabble, just as he was with that broken church in Corinth, that truth remains the same. He is with, in, and among us. And that, when I see that, when I hear that, that is what makes the church distinct. Um, Today, it's August 13th. It's an important day. 34 years ago, uh, my wife and I got with each other in marriage. We've been married 34 years. 34. Uh, now, the funny thing about that is they said it wouldn't last because they knew me, right? <laughs> and uh, this should, uh, this should uh, um, you all need to congratulate Marty because... Uh, there's what a work of what a yeah what a work of grace and mercy that she remains married to me so but you know what the glory of marriage is it's with when it trust me you know 34 years is not that long but it's it's longer than 33 years <laughs> you know uh we were eight when we got married, and so uh, our our whole lives have been spent uh, uh, married to one another. Uh, but the joy in the midst of the sadness and the brokenness and when we sin against one another and uh, all of that is that we're with. We're with each other. That's what matters. That's what shapes our identity. That's what shapes how we think about our lives. She's with me and I'm with her. That changes everything about our lives. In an even more profound way, Jesus is with his people. And it changes everything about who we are and how we live. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you uh, that you came not just to set an example and not just to um, tell us how to be, but you came to be with us. In fact, you died so that you can be with us and so that we can be with you forever. What great love and what profound uh, joy that gives us. Forgive us for our small-mindedness. Forgive us for looking for our identity anywhere else. And forgive us for thinking that, uh, uh, that the gospel does something other than provide a place for you to receive glory 
by living in and with and among your people. God, would you make it so that we are distinct and it is clear that we are distinct because you are with us. Would you do that work? Lord, we we thank you that uh, the God of peace is with us. The God of hope, the God of love, the God of grace and mercy and restoration, and finally, the God of joy. So, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts and our ears, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.